we have been for the past six weeks looking at families and believe it or not, if you don't know it, let me tell you, the family is definitely in trouble. And more so now than ever before. With that in mind, I, I would like to share very briefly uh, a little about my family of origin. I am the last of 10 children born to my parents. My father was a good provider, but he was also an absent father. He worked in West Palm Beach for a long period. A matter of fact, he was away about at least nine months out of the year. So you can see what I am saying when I said he was an absent father. Of course, he was making money, made it easier for us, but he was not there for us. He was known as a gray man. For those of you who are not familiar with that word, he was a man that pulled drays or carriages with families in them instead of a horse. You, he was a strong man, but that's what he did when he went over to West Palm Beach. Well, when he came back to Nassau, well, to Nassau, because we lived in San Salvador, but when he came to Nassau, he stayed here for about nine months out of the year before he came home because he was a, a carpenter at that time and he continued to provide, but he was an absent father. He always talked about work that he has great pride in. And at the age of 94, he was still talking about being one of the carpenters that put the highest point on the British Colonial Hotel. And whenever we passed there, he would say, you see that? I put that up there. Uh, he was very proud about that. But may I say to you, It did not help me at all. I remember one good time with my dad once. We went fishing together, and I'll never forget that. Only once in my lifetime. That's how few months or days or sometimes even weeks when he came, he didn't spend more than a couple of days before he, he left and went again. So at a very, very young age for me, I was searching. I was searching for what was missing within me. I had no peace. I had no contentment. And there are some things that bothered me. I've never heard my dad said to any one of his 10 children, I love you. I've never seen my dad held my mother's hand over the years. So there were questions. No wonder they tried to tell us that children came on boats because I don't know how they end up with 10 children and you don't even hold hands. So it was a bit confusing. 
uh, it was not seriously until January 5, 1975, in Marsh Harbor, Abaco, the Union Jack Hotel, I committed my life to Jesus Christ. And God transformed my life. All of the confusion disappeared. The peace that I cannot explain even now that I experience. May I say to you, I was afraid of marriage, I was afraid of dying, and I was afraid of flying. Uh, you'll have to make that connection another time. I don't have time to explain why. But since I marry my wife, Helen DeVoe Arnett, we do practically everything together. And there are some who ask, how could you work with her all day and still happy to go home? I cannot wait to get home for us to get home together. A matter of fact, she sits and waits for me when I'm seeing a client in the evening, and I do the same thing for her if we have late clients. And she could go home, but she sits and she waits. So I probably isn't too that bad to be around. Or she is the kind of wife that we need as husbands. Let me stop while I'm ahead. <laughs> I'd like to begin this morning by asking a few questions. And the first one is, what is marriage? Well, the marriage union between a man and a woman and I say between a man and a woman because today you better be sure it's a man or a woman because it's very difficult to determine who is who sometime. It is sanctified by God as a means of maintaining the family life. The idea of marriage was ordained by God in his instructions to Adam that a man should leave his father and his mother and he and his wife should be as one flesh. Genesis 2.24, Matthew 19.5. There is a great mystery when we talk about marriage. For Paul wrote about this in Ephesians chapter 5. And there is a, a word that Paul used that a lot of us is very uncomfortable with. And this word that Paul uses is, who, who wants to venture to tell me what it is? Commit. But for me, may I say to you that this relationship is designed, of course, to reflect the nature of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three distinct persons, yet lives in a community of unity and, of course, singleness of purpose. 
And so also should husband and wife, or husband, wife, and children live in a community, unity, and purpose. One point I always try to strive when I work with couples, and that is there must be oneness, or what the word we use is usness. In other words, it's, there is no more me, my, and I. Do you hear me? There is, when we say I do until that do a spot, it's no more me, my, and I. But as some have said, sitting on the couch next to me, what I work for is mine. What he work for is ours. <laughs> it doesn't work. It's no more me, my, and I. It's usness. You must see it that way. That whatever it is that you are working for, you do it together. And that's why I love my wife more and more each day. And I'll be very honest with you, and she probably don't believe it because I may not be swarming all over her night and day, but I love her more today than I love her when I marry her. Because, because I have, I've never had one moment of a single day that I had to be concerned about where she was or what she was doing. Now, she should have had concerns because I had a very colorful life before Jesus Christ transformed me. But she will tell you today that she doesn't concern herself at all about where I am or what I'm doing. And uh, she made me so proud. I was off in, to one of those foreign uh, it was, I can't remember, the, what, was, what was, where did I go, Helen? That's why I love her, because I got asked <laughs> every, Peru, I went to Peru, uh, uh, representing the Bahamas as Bible society. And one prominent, now I, I'll call his name, brother, pastor, no, he was doctor, uh-uh, doctor, See, she got to tell me who it is or no. Dr. Allen, David Allen. Sunday morning, she, he walks up here in the church and said to Helen, uh, how's Freddie? Did you hear from him? She said, well, you know, where he's at, it's not easy to talk to him. He said, you don't know how many pretty girls down there? You aren't afraid? Helen said, she responded, that's God's man. I love you. Because seriously, I thank God that when he transformed me, he transformed me. And I say to God, be the glory. Amazing grace, my brother. Another question, what is the purpose of marriage? Marriage is a part of God's intention for humanity from creation and forms the basis for the family, which is the primary unit of, of society. May I say to you, where marriage flourish, it blesses both the couple and its wider community. That is the purpose for marriage. Marriage, my brothers and sisters, is the safest place you can be if you honor God. Don't be afraid, because a lot of us are afraid because of what we see around us. I was afraid because what I saw around me, and that's why I did not want anything to do with marriage. I said to myself over and over, I cannot be with any one woman more than a year. Thank God for 38 
pretty near seven, somewhere there. <laughs> yes, and I, I, I seriously thank God for that because only God could have done that for me, only God. And as I seriously said, I love my wife today more than I did when I marry her. In other words, a successful, flourishing marriage is indeed possible, and much more than possible, is God's design for us who will honor his word. But it requires hard work. A married couple must leave must leave their parents, cleave to one another, and strive to grow in a relationship with the Lord and with each other. Oneness and intimacy with your spouse takes time and continued effort. Permit me to read from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 through 24, please. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourself to your own husband as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is, say, is the savior. Now, as the church submits to, to Christ, so also wives should submit to their own husbands in everything. The word that Paul used was submit, and believe it or not, you want to start something when a couple comes in, most of them, say to them, or ask the question, what do you think is causing the problems? And nine chances out of 10, the husband will say, <laughs> She won't submit to me. And she will look up, look up at him and say, submit. The key to submission is a struggle for too many people. And it is simply because there are those who feel if they submit, they become as a doormat mentality or they are less than a person if they submit. May I say to you, nothing could be further from the truth. A wife that submits to her husband benefits by being in favor with God. She is honoring God, and God says, when you honor me, I will honor you. Also, it is a testimony to the world that you are a woman who is walking in the light and not in darkness. May I say to you, even when you find it difficult to submit, do it with reverence for Christ's sake. If indeed he is savior and Lord of your life, if he isn't, then of course, you don't have the capacity to submit. If you 
are looking at your husband and dealing with him according to the way he acts towards you, maybe I might agree with you. How can you submit? But then I will be disobeying God and God's word. Because what you're doing is not about me or about you. It's about bringing glory to God. You do it for Christ's sake. Husbands, submit to your wives. Ephesians chapter 5, permit me to read from verse 25, please. Husbands, love your wife, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to, to himself as a radiant church without stain or without wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He also or he who loves his wife, loves himself. Ah, you may say to me, my husband don't love himself. And you may be right. And it could very well be because he does not have the relationship with Christ. But how are husbands to love their wives? I'm glad you asked because I was going to tell you anyway whether you had asked or not. Number one, husbands, love your wife with sacrificial love as Christ loved the church. Your love for your wife, is it sacrificial? I'm not going to uh, attempt to ask my wife if I'm sacrificial. She might call me down on that, so I'll leave that. Secondly, love your wife as you love your own body. You know, we may say, you don't beat up on your own bodies. I see people who come to the center who are wise or battered. And if that's the way they would do their wives, you wonder, would they do it to themselves? Knowing that that body that you're beating on is the temple of the living God. Our, temp, our body is the temple of the living God. So you should honor and respect your wife and not have to beat up on him, on her. Thirdly, love your wife as you love yourself. We need also to love with action. And in truth, 1 John 3, 18 says, and I quote, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and in truth. If I were to ask this audience to tell me what love is, or what they would define love is, you will be amazed. Of, I don't know if you'll get three of the same answers. But I love to ask this question. And everyone that comes to me, especially for 
premarital? This is the question that is asked very early, but I don't request an answer until the end, the last session, and that's when I listen to the answers. One of the definitions that I appreciate is envisioning what God intends for the other person, taking whatever action is necessary on one's own path to see that realized. I'll repeat that again very soon, but I want that to sink in. Can you imagine what it'll be like if each partner was trying to do the same thing, trying to determine what God would have me to do for my partner and making sure that that is realized? What, what a life we can have! May I say to you, this could only be realized if you are allowing the fruit of the Spirit to have full control of your life. So, let's talk a, a little bit about the fruit of the Spirit. Why is it so important? Please allow me to, to look at this a little closer. Again, for me, love is envisioning what God intends for the other person and taking whatever action is necessary on one's own path to see that is realized, that that is realized. Secondly, I want to look at the word joy for, for a moment also. What is joy? Joy is lifting another's spirit. Instead of worrying about what I want, what is it that I can do to lift the spirit of my partner, my spouse? What about peace? Peace is love communicating quick, and confident to another. In other words, whatever the situation is, you should communicate that quickly, quietly, confidentially, so that that person knows that you are for real. Don't wait until you need $500 and tell your husband how much you love him. And then turn around and say, you could spare five? That's, that's not going to cut it. May I suggest to you that the fruit on the branches of a tree is the visible manifestation of the nature of the tree. And again, we are reminded over and over again, it does not say the fruits of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit. Permit me to read from Galatians chapter 22, and Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things there is no law. Let me repeat again, please. The fruit of the Spirit that is produced in us is not nine different fruits, but one 
single book, singular. Manifested in nine distinct qualities. This reminds us also that the Holy Spirit produced his fruit in us as a whole, not love one season, joy the next season, and peace the next season, and so on. That's not the case. That's not the way it works. We need to remember and recognize that. How, how does love really act? I mean, you, you, we, we're talking about love, but if you're truly in love, how does it really act? Well, we have the word of God. And I'd like to read from, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, from verse 4 through 8 and part 8, part 8 of 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Let me pause. If you want to hear a real argument, let one reminds the other. Remember last week when I asked you X, Y, Z. You remember year before last when I asked you. A record. Uh, they make sure they have a record of wrong. It's necessary, it seems. Verse 6, love does not delight in evil, but rejoice with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always preserves. Love never fails. In other words, for love to continue to act in the way that we can benefit, we need to nourish that love. Let us look at three things that nourishes love. The first is a pure heart. May I say to you, Love is the product of the Spirit of God in the life of a Christian, and therefore is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.5 5. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness of which we hope. If love is the tree then, and the other qualities visible are visible manifestation of the nature of the tree, then Proverbs chapter 11 verse 30 has a significant meaning. Permit me to quote. The fruit of righteousness is the tree of life, and he who is wise wins souls. You know, in the past two years, more than ever, I believe we have been taught about what it is 
that we as believers should be doing. And that is, if you're wise, you should be winning souls for Christ. And if love is going to strive, we need to recognize it's going to cost us. It's hard work. So, a pure heart, genuine faith, and good conscience is the sustenance that keeps love going. Pure heart. What is it? A pure heart is honesty of heart towards one's partner, acting from noble motives without pretense, without half-truth or deception. May I say to you, this is one of the areas that is rarely under attack because we would say that we are not, we're going to tell you the truth, but we only tell you a part of the truth. And then when you find out the other part, you, well, I didn't remember to mention that, but I told you the truth. May I say to you that that cannot work. You tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, and then you don't have to worry about what you said a year ago, unless you like me. A person with pure heart has truth within the inward part. Here is what Psalm 15.2 says. The one or the one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart. That's a person with pure heart. First John 3.18. Permit me to quote again. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and in truth then we have, of course, genuine faith. What is genuine faith? Genuine faith is a deep confidence in Jesus Christ, enabling me or us to trust God to work in our partner. You cannot change your partner. And if you think I'm lying, try it. You cannot change your partner. And unfortunately, too many people went into mar marriage with their eyes wide open that their spouse was unfaithful, a liar, or what have you. But you know what they will tell you? I thought I could change him. But you cannot change him. You cannot change anyone. Only the Holy Spirit convicts and has the capacity to change. I want us to note that only God can transform. We cannot. As a young man, as I indicated earlier, I started out with the, a desire to be a good gentleman. I tried it. And then they start calling me sissy and everything else but the child of God. And believe it or not, I decide, well, 
I got to do what the others are doing. Because they were trying to persuade me. And I did. But that's the worst thing any one of us could do. Because even though I wasn't a Christian, I was on the right path. But of myself, I definitely couldn't do it. I love that song by Frank Sinatra that says, I did it my way. But that's something you can't take back. And I'm suffering because of it. God forgave, but there are consequences in life. There are consequences, and you are going to pay one way or yet the other. It was not until January 5th, 1975, at 12.30 a.m., when I got on my knees in Mass Harbor Abaco and asked God to forgive me for my sin after reading Matthew chapter 7. But thirdly, good conscience. Good conscience is an attitude of quick and free forgiveness towards the other offense of offenses. Sensitivity which moves one to seek forgiveness from the partner of any past offenses, any past offenses. That's not the easiest thing to do. But with the Holy Spirit empowering you, it is quite possible. Ephesians Chapter 4, verse 32 says, and I quote, Be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ. God has forgiven you. Question, have you forgiven your partner for the wrongs he might have done or she might have done? If you haven't, you are probably more miserable than they are. What, if I may ask, what does the fruit of the Spirit look like in your life? Matthew chapter 7 verse 16 through 19. Permit me to read, please. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from torn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. May I say to you, please, Even if we manage to display some qualities that looks good or looks like the fruit of the Spirit, it would only be the fruit of the Spirit of self and not of God. 
In other words, it would only be wax fruit, not real. The product of our efforts, that's all it is, a product of our own effort that does not take you anywhere. The, the Spirit of God does not wish to take our own product and sanctify it for himself. The fruit of the Holy Spirit then is one fruit. And if that spirit is going to develop into any kind of quality for us, then he is going to develop the whole thing, not just three, as I try to deal with briefly, but the whole package. Please bear in mind the nature of the fruit itself. Fruit does not grow overnight, but it grows over time through a process that is under the sovereign control of the living God. Let us entrust our marriages to and through the Holy Spirit so that we may have the kind of marriages God intended us to have. I want to leave with you Thank you, Lord. I promised I wasn't going to look on my watch, and I didn't until then. I want, to, I want to leave something with you. Maybe you are here today, and you're not satisfied with what your life has been. Maybe you are here today, and you haven't yet trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I try to indicate that if you really want your marriage to be what God intended it to be, you need to be led by God. And if you're not, you may have what the world calls a good marriage, but you will be missing out greatly on what God really intended. And if you are here today, I'll ask you if you won't mind standing and you want to surrender your life to God. If you are here today, you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, or you're in a backslidden condition, are you willing to stand and say, pray with me? I'm not going to... Label this, but maybe you're here this morning and you know that your marriage is not what God intended it to be. I wonder how many of you will be willing to stand and say, yes, my marriage could be better than it is. How many of you? Any? Thank you, sir. The rest of you, you got it made. Thank you, sir. Ah. Uh, but last but not least, if you are here and your marriage is perfect and you know of a marriage that needs the hand of God, will you stand with me and let us pray for those marriages? I wrote a short prayer out. We can pray this prayer, or as I read this prayer, then I ask that you pray right where you are and ask God to help you, show you a couple who you may be able 
to assist. Here's the prayer I wrote. Most gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that our sins are ever before you. You are a holy Father and the only true and living God. Forgive our transgression. Heal our marriages today that you may be glorified in and through the homes and will become what you intended to be. Help us to be doers of your word. Help us, Holy Father, to submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. As the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three in one, yet live in unity, so also may we, as husbands, and wives and children live in unity or in community, unity and purpose. We pray in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all God's people says, Amen. Thank you.